today on Tech Uncensored, the art of effective selling. Hi, everyone. I'm Hesse Jones, and it's been called one of the toughest jobs in the industry for startups who are building their business from the ground up, finding the right customer who's willing to actually buy your product. It can be a daunting task. So this is where all companies start out. They have an idea. They talk to a bunch of people to validate the idea. They build a solution. And with all this feedback in mind, and they identify a customer profile who would benefit most from the product that they built. They put a target list together and they're ready to go out and sell. So for startups, the first 100 days are probably the most difficult. They go through their cold calls or their cold emails. They may get a few responses back. Some of those transpire into meetings, but many times those meetings don't convert into future meetings. So what are they doing wrong? More importantly, how do they adjust? So I'm pleased to have with me today a dear friend, Fahim Roth. Good afternoon. Who, who has his own consultancy, Roth & Associates. He is a seasoned sales professional, and he's taught his course on customer obsession to many clients, including Ford Motor Company, Royal Bank of Canada, Royal Bank of Scotland, HBO, Credit Suisse, among many others. So he argues that the principles that we're going to learn today can be applied to early stage startups. So welcome to him. Thank you. So let's take you back. You worked in consultancy at Deloitte in your early days. Tell us about your, your first sales meeting. What was that like for you? Well, the first sales meeting we had actually was with Molson's Breweries, in which they had major labor relation issues. And we realized every time we were talking to them that we were forcing ideas down their throat, especially to the labor union. And I said to my boss, I said, you know, this is not really a pushing of ideas, but rather a sales opportunity where we can convince them that this would be in their best interest to follow this path. And my boss said, so what you're preaching is salesmanship. I said, that's exactly what I'm doing. So that generated an interest from other companies such as Ford, IBM. One of my biggest clients was a Dutch man called ABN Amro, where they said, we want to compete, but we want to do it different. And so our approach was, what is it that differentiates you from another bank or from another institution or from another car companies? And then we designed a program called consultative selling, which means it really, you are a partnership with your customers or your clients. So that's where my selling skills began. Okay. okay. So when companies, let's say we're dealing here in the startup technology space, what companies are first reaching, researching the market, what are the first things they need to know about the, the market that they're selling into? I assume this is going to set them up for how they actually position themselves. Yeah. What you have to realize in selling that there are two key elements of selling. One is called a commodity, all right? And a commodity is I'm driving past a gas station and I look at what the price is and I do it. So commodity is something that everybody has. So when you're in a commodity, it becomes a price war. Nobody sees a differentiation between you and yourself. Value added is what do you bring to the table? So the problem in North America and all over Asia is a value added is a competitive edge that only lasts about a week because somebody else is going to copy you immediately. Okay? And the copying is, unless you have a patent now, an example is you're the only surgeon in all of Orangeville that does laser orthopedic surgery. Nobody else does it. So that doesn't require salesmanship because you're coming to me 
for that service. It's that simple. But competitive edges, I mean, one, the best example is Sears and Roebuck had market share for almost 25 years. We used to live by the Sears catalog and they had a logo that caused them tremendous value added. And that was your satisfaction is guaranteed or your money back. Okay. That lasted only 25 years. Well, it didn't take long for the other retailers to say, hey, guess what? We can offer your satisfaction guaranteed or money back. So now all of a sudden, you're starting to shop around for the best price. So what's the value added? The value added is, what am I bringing to the table that'll cause the person to sound different? But keeping in mind that your value is only as good as seven or eight days until somebody else says, I've got, I can follow up. Now, obviously, Microsoft, Pfizer, all these companies, they don't necessarily shoot for market share. They shoot for patent share. So if I'm the only one that's selling EpiFin pens, like that guy did, I can charge whatever I want because there's nobody else on the market. But as soon as somebody else comes on the market, you become a commodity. That's interesting. Yeah. So that, so your differentiator from that perspective, it's, you know, regardless of whether or not you can fight for the same type of product has to be something over and above what your competition doesn't have. Because at the end of the day, the patent thing is going to happen. Evaporates. Yes. It evaporates. It's seven years. Okay. 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 It does evaporate. What, obviously what you've done is you've thought of an idea that will cause you to be different. And what you're trying to do is get this idea up and running before somebody else follows suit. Okay? Because in North America, I mean, I use the example is, you know, the best place to buy a Rolex watch is not in Switzerland where it's made. It's in New York. Because if you walk up and down 47th Street in New York, everybody's selling Rolexes. Then it becomes how much, how much are you going to charge me for the Rolex? Right. Okay. Okay. So, so these days, so let's build on that. Innovation doesn't mean these days it's cool, it's new, it's going to allow me to do new things. Your argument is that every product is a solution to a problem. And it's even going to be more critical to actually convey that to your audience. So tell us a little bit more about that. Okay. You have to keep in mind that markets are always 100% efficient. That's a key element of selling. When they're 100% efficient means if I have an idea, if it's, the market will not buy it, it's not a great idea. So you have to come up with something really unique that's going to either disrupt business or add value to business or add value to a customer who says, yeah, this was worth it for me to pay that extra $2 or $3, whatever it is. I mean, if you look at Costco, the Costco model, the value added is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. I mean, literally, I've known people yeah. who've eaten half a strawberry taken back to Costco and Costco will give you back a refund. Okay, that, that, that's their value added. Now, of course, there's price and everything else, but they make it very easy to buy. Okay, very easy to buy. Okay. so. What if a person that's sitting in front of you doesn't see the need for your product? Like they don't see, they don't perceive that they actually have a problem. How do you deal with that? Well, number one, you wouldn't have come up with the idea if you didn't see a need. You as the inventor of the innovation, you have to understand a lot about the industry that you're going to work in. So the example that I used with you, Hesse, was if I am a drug company, I'm going to do a different sales approach to a pediatrician than I'm going to do a, a different approach to a cardiologist. 
So you must have identified something in that industry that allowed you to say, hey, you know, if I, if that this person uses this product, it'll add tremendous value either to their practice, their bottom line, their profitability, or their market share. Okay. Okay. So there is, so I'm going to bring up this yeah. slide. I want you to, to talk us through this process. Okay. This is your roadmap. This is how you approach any selling process. So obviously, please, the three basic things are, I expect the salesperson to be a professional, which means you know what you're talking about. I expect you to be sincere that you're not going to manipulate me. And I expect you to be honest. What do I mean by honesty? If I say to you, Hesse, you have to go in for surgery. If I'm a professional, I will tell you the side effects of the surgery or the side effects of the medication before you open your mouth. So you, what you want to do is you want to build integrity by saying, look, this is a great solution. But sometimes, as you know, in cancer, the cure is worse than the disease. All right. But I, as a professional, on honesty, have to say, here's the option we're doing, surgery, no surgery. And here's the pluses of that process. And here's my, and there's no product on the world that does not have side effects. So a good salesperson will always open by telling you, let me tell you what the downside is here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's how you start. Now, obviously, please, the first step is building a relationship. Hi, how are you? What's new? Et cetera, et cetera. You can do this depending on how nasty your client is for a very short period of time. Or they'll say, oh, let's talk about the Toronto Blue Jays or the Raptors. So report just how are you and we're building a relationship. Some clients will allow you to do this for a certain period of time. And some clients will clamp you down and say, what the hell do you want? Okay. So it always depends on who you're selling to. Okay. Once their rapport is built, the customer will say, all right, what's this all about? Okay. At that point, you have to establish something called the general benefit state. That is, what is the reason I'm here? Now, the most critical thing is we call that the four U's. So what you say to me, why are you here? I have to point out to you the four things that I think that are very important to you. So I'm going to use the word you four times during that process. So I think the example I use was a plastic surgeon or the example I use, I could use as, as an industrial manufacturing person. So in the case of a plastic surgeon, I would have to say, sir, I understand in your industry or your practice that your shelf life is somewhat limited. I understand also that you make a lot of money, but for short periods of time. That I understand that your field requires tremendous research and tremendous uptaking. And that as a surgeon, you want to make sure that whatever you're earning will provide you with a very good and nice life. If the customer starts to nod his head or her head, I know that I'm hitting their hot so this is not a question. This is a state. You and you and you. Now, I can give you a, a lot of examples of, say, a manufacturing person. If I'm selling to somebody who's making auto parts, you know, as a general manager of this facility, I would imagine you're worried about safety. You're worried about profitability. You're worried about cost of manufacturing. You're worried about capacity. If I can do that, it immediately explains to the person the other end, this person knows something that I, what I'm going through. Okay. So in part of this process, what you also say is that every time 
your potential customer opens their mouth, it gives you an opportunity. Correct. So, so you want to have them do most of the talking. Is that right? Or at that point, it's so the next step after the person has nodded their head, you, then you'll say, my name is Hesse Jones. You've already done that. And what we bring to the table is networking, funding. What else did you say you bring? Said advisory. Advisory. And the person says, yeah, that's right. And then he's going to say, all right, so tell me about you. He's going to lean or she's going to lean back. And say, so tell me about your program. The worst thing you can do is open your mouth at that point. You turn around and say, you know what? Tell me a little bit about your idea. Now you're exploring. Now that's called probing. Okay. And I want to probe because for two reasons. One, is there a fit? Number two, is there an opportunity for me as a salesperson? Right. And is my product going to arouse enough interest for you to follow up? Right. Okay. So I'm, then all I do is I ask questions. And if they keep saying, why do you need to know this? Because, sir or ma'am, our solutions are all tailored. They're customized specifically for you. The more I know about you, the better I am able to serve you professionally. Okay. So the more, every time they open their mouth, you know, oh, I'm worried about my daughter. Well, that's an opportunity to life insurance, educational programs, RESP. So every time the client opens their mouth, they're saying, this is what's worrying me. But you cannot allow that customer to take control of the meeting and say, tell me about your program. Because then all they're doing is sitting back and evaluating. And they'll right. say, oh, thank you very much. Send me a proposal. No. Okay. Let's take this into a scenario. Okay, so, sure. So when you're selling, you don't, you need to know not only who the decision maker is, where it is, triggers, what does he care about? If there are more than one people, more than one person, there, let's say you have, I have a brand new type of process that will mean that I'm creating or I'm, I'm developing a product that has organic elements that can place chemicals in plastic bags. Yes. So. My target are manufacturers of plastic bags. I secure a meeting with a VP of product. Yes. He brings his CFO into the room. Yes. And a researcher. Yes. So from that perspective, what would I do in that okay. meeting? All four of them would have a different you. So for instance, the CFO, am I going to get return on my assets? How much investment is going to be required? What is going to be necessary for us to launch this product? So they're looking at it from a financial perspective. So I have to talk from a financial perspective. If it's the manufacturing guy, he's going to be, or she's going to be looking at how easy is it to implement? Okay. What's the cost of implementation? How smooth can it be? What type of capital equipment do I have to invest in order to get this done? And will there be after sales support? All right. Is there an 800 number I can call? if the manufacturing doesn't go smooth, all right? The marketing person is going to be completely different. Your interest in market share, competitive analysis, okay, who's going to buy this product and who are my competitors? So, you know, you're going to be switching back and forth. Now, what we say, please, if you are a salesperson and you have a technical person on the other side, I mean, a highly technical person, they can sink you in two seconds because you don't have the knowledge. Right. So when you go into that meeting, you better make sure on your deal team, you also have a technical expert. You don't need a financial person because those are generic return on investments. You want to make sure the cost of capital, et cetera, et cetera. But when you get into highly technical, we call that the feasibility stage. 
at that point, if you're going in, the technical guy is going to ask you a lot of questions to trip you up. You have to have a technical person, maybe it's you yourself, who is able to respond to that technical question. Okay. Okay. So each person is going to have a different hot button, Nessie. Okay. They're all going to have different hot buttons. Marketing, finance, sales are all going to have different hot buttons. So let's talk about the objection handling. Okay. Because you said that once you, when you're trying to move somebody up this curve to conversion, they can bring this in at any and time. And a tap could happen at any what? Any time during the meeting. If you say good morning, that individual, she's had a bad day. What's so good about it? All right. Are you sure to waste my time? Or worse, all right, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Now hit me with your best shot. We're not playing golf here. Yeah. You know, I mean, the best example I can give you in New York when we were selling to the New York Energy Board, we had a one-hour meeting. And then the VP of manufacturing came on and said, I don't have a lot of time, so you got 60 seconds to give me your best shot. And we looked at him and he said, sir, we need to reschedule. So objection can happen anywhere. Now, number one, never, ever disagree. Okay? Never argue. Never. Always tell them they have their right. Okay? Please don't use the words like no, obviously, which means you're a dumbass. <laughs> all right? That can't be true. Then it becomes a war on I'm going to prove to you. Now, when the person says, well, we did this and this, how to handle an objection is to simply say, Yes, that's an option. Can I offer you an alternative idea? So I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, please put this into consideration. Because believe it or not, objections are sales opportunities. Okay. They're always sales opportunities. Okay. Do you have a, I'm just trying to think of an example of an objection when, let's assume, let's go back to the, that guy, let's say the manufacturer yeah. of plastic bags. Yes. And say, that's great, but you know what? If I'm going to use your process, I'm already saving this amount of money because I can do this in bulk with my existing process. If I bring your process into my facility, it's going to cost me so much more to even try it in the lab. At what point will my, my, my cost come down? Like, why should I even try? Okay, that's very insightful. Thank you for raising that as an objection. I share that insight with you as well. I'm constantly stroking you back, all right? Let me walk you through our alternative solution here. Yes, initially there is a cost of setting up and time. Yes, there is an initial cost of capital equipment, but here are what the results that can be produced over either short-term, medium-term, or long-term. So I'm actually arguing fact against fact, okay? but I'm not going to disagree with him or her under any circumstances. Or, yes, that's very insightful. You're absolutely correct. Okay. That makes that person feel very important. And instead of becoming an adversary, they say, aha, so you're, you're appreciating my intellect, but you're offering me an alternative. Okay, so where in this tree would you find actually that taking place? Okay, then when you have all of the needs, you probed and you probed and you probed and you probed. There's not, there's nothing in selling. There's nothing such as asking too many questions. That does not exist. The reason I'm asking the question is to understand the process, to make sure that I come back with a proper solution. So then when you're finished and you've got all the information, you say, may I recap? Am I allowed? Can I paraphrase you? May I tell you what I think, what I hear your needs to be? So I'm going to give you what they call an overall picture of what you told me. 
Now, that means you have to listen and listen intently. And I suggest you also should take notes. I mean, don't sit down and subscribe, but you know, this was important. This was. So if I come back to you and say, these are the key areas, you know, you were concerned about cost of capital, you were concerned about cost of finance, you were concerned about cost of this debt. Now, then either you take a break or you say, all right, let me give you what our product brings to the table. Okay. Now, please, there always has to be a minimum of two options or three options or better. Let me offer you some solutions. One is do nothing. That's an option. No, you can carry on the profit. Number two, let me offer you this option, either partially implemented or fully implemented. The third option is fully implemented. Before the, my customer opens her mouth, I have to tell them what are the pluses of that option and what are the minus. That builds trust that you're not hiding it. Second option, let me tell you the pluses and let me tell you the downsides. Because I don't care what product it is, every product has a drawback. Every single product. If it's cheap, it doesn't hold its value. If it's expensive, every product, whether you're taking aspirin or you're taking Tylenol, they all have a side effect. Now, it's up to the doctor to say, you know, the person says, hey, doc, I understand this operation is going to be very painful. I want to say, no, it's not. Yes, it is going to be very painful. Yes, your recovery time is going to take three months. But here's the advantages. You're going to feel better. You're going to be able to run. You're going to be able to walk. Oh, so that's it. Now, obviously, if the drawbacks are worse than the pluses, then it's not a it's not a. Now, but how much of that, though, how much does market demand or market change play into the sales funnel? Because they may not be ready for it, or let's say there, there are too many things that are going against you in the sales process, but eventually, and this is an example of Blockbuster, eventually they have to listen to the market. Of course. Market of demand. Course. Of course. And they know that things are changing. At what point do you think it's possible that the person that you're selling to is going to be more open to uh, your call, That's the beginning of the closing of the sale. And what will happen is a lot of customers will say, let me delay. Let me get back to you on this. Let me think about it. Okay, that delay can cause you to lose huge opportunities because competitors are always biting at your heel. With the delay, you have to tell them what are the disadvantages of delay. Okay, your competitors are coming on stream. Cost of borrowing is going to get more expensive. The cost, so that and by the way, we believe the most important thing in closing is storytelling. Tell me more. Storytelling is. Let me share an example with you. Okay. One of the best examples I can think of was where somebody delayed writing a will. Okay, you know, and the person says, ah, no, I'm in very good health. I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to buy insurance or I don't have to update my will. Well, as a professional, I have to say, you know, that's your call, Ms. Jones. But let me tell you a story about what happened to one of my clients that decided not to take action. And I got to tell you a horror story. I mean, it's got to be a real, I mean, it's got to be, Scare you out of your past. What happened was he died suddenly of a heart attack on the chess court. The wife lost the residence. It went into escrow. To get the amount of escrow, cost them $50,000. So I'm giving you a story. Now, should I exaggerate? Yeah, maybe. But all good sales have good stories of when it worked and when it didn't work. Okay. And then at that point, you're starting to close the sale 
your commitment to is get, let's take some action here. Right? Because every client will say, I oh, you know what I could delay. Can you really with ABC company just launching their new product? Are you kidding me? Right? Let me tell you about one of my clients that didn't launch. But that's, this one has to be a negative story. Okay. I, you know, well, can I think about buying this house? Sure. But you know what interest rates are going up next week? Because the Bank of Canada is going to raise this. So the person says, wow, you know, I need to raise their blood pressure. That if I don't execute now, the opportunity is still on me. So going back to that plastic manufacturer, you can say, by the way, do you know there's a new law coming out that what single shot plastics will be eliminated? Or this one could happen is, you know, you're talking about the belt for the safety of the people. You know, there's another company twice as large as you that is beginning to think about yeah. that type of thing. But some, sometimes from that perspective, legislation is your friend. Because until legislation happens, people are going to try to fly under the radar as much as possible Correct. until that happens. Yes. And then and they, when it is impending, then they start preparing for... But sometimes it can be too late. It can be too late. All right. I mean, that, that's the rule where my, I said, you know, you can never time the market, but you can sure watch CNBC. Yeah. You know, I, you know I need to be aware. Now, again, as I emphasize to you, Sales has to do a lot with industry. Which industry am I in? I have to understand the industry. I have to understand the players in the industry. Is the company got a CFO? Is the company got a marketing person? Is the market got so that when I'm coming to you, I'm appealing at your level and not at my level. Okay. So as I said to you before, I cannot have one of my salespeople calling on a pediatrician as the same person who's calling on a cardiologist. Right. Because right. they have completely different needs. Absolutely. All right. And if I target it, but that means I have to understand what is a pediatrician, what are the concerns they have? You know, what type of practice do they have? How large is the practice? So the more I understand about my client or my customer, the better is my solution. Okay. Okay. That's that the key. So you can't have a, a person trying to cover the whole range. Okay. I have one sure. last question. Sure. So you are near the top of the conversion yeah. funnel. I, well, you think you are. So how do you know when you've actually established a clear need with your client? Like what is a startup founder these days? What are the triggers that he needs to look at for a potential customer that had he's been nurturing for, let's say, a month? And the customer's not closing. Is that what you're saying? Some customers are closing. Okay. He thinks he's getting there. But what does he have to look for to see whether or not he's actually making some headway? Okay. You, two things you got to do. Contact them. No, don't irritate me, but contact me. Send me information that's relevant, either by email or whatever it is. That's real, but not just, you know, the government of Canada is saying something that's specific to my industry that adds value. If during the rapport building, I found out this guy, this man or woman is into cars, you know, I might want to send them an invitation to the auto show, something that has nothing to do with the sale, but is adding value to that person's life. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that I keep in touch on a regular, I mean, I had a client that hadn't talked to me for 15 years. All right. And it was amazing. He was, I couldn't take him out to lunch because he was had said to you and I couldn't. He was so wealthy, I couldn't buy him anything. I was in Amsterdam, and I went to Anne Frank's house. You know, the one where she was, and I knew really loved it. For nine guilders in those days, it was $9, I bought her last page of her diary. That's all I did. And I put Alan, Dr. Alan, I couldn't, when I saw this, I couldn't think of you. 
and I mail it to him for nine guilders. I got a contract the next month for over two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Wow! From an investment of nine dollars. But you have to think about your clients all the time. Don't bob. Don't irritate the hell out of me by calling you. Well, have you decided? Have you, do things that have nothing to do with the sales process that adds value. But you obviously knew from previous the probing. Yeah, the probing. You know, I knew what they liked. I mean, when I'm rapport building, the person says, "Oh, you know, I love hockey, or I love hunting, or I love skydiving." What is? What can I find out? You know, I mean, I, the men and I met Doctor Allenside. He had a on a yamaka. I said, "Alan, come on, I'd like to take you out for lunch." No, I'm sorry, I'm kosher. Well, he's. I said to you, every time the client opens their mouth, they give you an opportunity, and the opportunity was he was a very proud Jewish person who's been very proud of his heritage. I can take advantage. Right, right. So the sales process, not only just all the stuff, but how do I keep it rolling? Right, yeah? right. And you never know when the opportunity is. I mean, I tried him for five years. But when I saw that Anne Frank's diary, I knew I got him. Wow. I knew I got him. That's right. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Thank you. Oh My, my pleasure. It's already half an hour. Yeah, and that went fast. <laughs> it went yeah. fast. Thank you so much. Vicky. My pleasure. So... Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. If any of you have comments or topics that you want to talk about, just email us at altitude at, sorry, communications at altitudeaccelerator.ca. We are currently accepting applications for both our incubator and investor readiness program. So if you want more information, please go to our website, altitudeaccelerator.ca. Next week on Tech Uncensored, finding your technical co-founder so until then Kessie, if anybody wants these cards you can hand them up oh right yeah. we do oh, have yeah. these these cue cards that actually provide a good synopsis that was exactly what we did of the selling skills so this is amazing we do have them on hand if anybody wants them so until then i'm hesse jones and uh, have fun and stay safe bye guys okay. Tech and Censored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemax. For more Tech and Censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemax.io to join us on Discord.